Hello and welcome to 30 for 30 Plus. My name is Jody Avergan. Today, behind the scenes of Juiced, I'm joined by Andrew Mambo, who reported and produced that documentary, which was the first episode of our new season, which ran earlier this week. Andrew, welcome. Congratulations. Thank how are you. you? How are you feeling? Thank you. No, I'm feeling good. It feel it always feels nice to get it done and have it out there in the world. And it's so weird. Like you publish it, and all of a sudden, this thing you've been living with for a long time. Well, yeah. I don't know how long, how long. Many months for many, you. Many months. It's all of a sudden just in the rearview mirror. It's like I kind of felt that way when I got married. Uh, I don't know if you felt <laughs> this way, but like you're planning a wedding, you're getting ready all of a sudden, and then it's just like you have a big party. You wake up the next morning, you're like, I mean, you're married, which is really cool. Yeah. Way yeah. cooler than making a podcast episode, but it's like all of a sudden it's just behind you, and you're and you're just like, okay, what next? Yeah, what next? Yeah. And so that's one of my questions for later. But let's talk about what you just did first. Yeah. Um, and you know, just to give listeners a sense, that's the basic goal of these conversations. This is a chance to hear about how it came together, get your thoughts, Andrew, on interviewing Jose Canseco and this book that he wrote, the Steroids Era. And I think we should add a disclaimer that if anyone hasn't heard the episode yet, hit pause on this. Yeah. Go actually listen. This would be a little confusing. And then come back and, and finish this bonus episode. Um, so we'll get into it. One quick shout out though while we're here. Um, Julia Lowry Henderson was your editor on the story. She yes. did an amazing job. She came right off of reporting that big Bikram series and jumped right into Juiced. And Mitra Kaboli, new on our team, did the sound design for this amazing engineering. So great work by them. Uh, so in these bonus episodes, which we're going to do for every episode uh, of this season, We'll kind of ask some of the same questions each time, and the first one being, is there any piece of tape that didn't make it into the episode that you want to highlight here? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's always a ton of pieces of tape that, that end up on the cutting room floor, and you know, some of them you love more than others. I think for me, you know, I have my pieces of tape that I like because they're funny pieces of tape, mm-hmm. but I thought um, one of the ones I wanted to talk about here was just... The backlash, one of the things I don't think we necessarily got into a great deal, we touched on it, but we didn't get into it, um, the depth of how big it got, was a bit of the backlash to Jose. And so After he wrote the book. After he wrote the book. So the book comes out, and there's this huge backlash. So so to all those things that were happening to him, here's a piece of tape that you know didn't make it into the episode, but was just him talking about how deep the, the, the backlash went. Yeah, from the book, I got multiple death threats. Every time I go out, my girlfriends will tell you, People want to start fights with me. They call me a snitch. You motherfucker, you son of a bitch, you destroyed the game of baseball. And I was like, what are you guys watching? So for about a year or two, I had to hide, really isolated, have to become kind of like a hermit and, and be careful. So it was a pretty tough time for me and my family. And so I just thought it was it was it was interesting to hear that because I was surprised at how much of a reaction that was that you know people had mm-hmm. to this. You know, he really touched this nerve with people, which was like the sanctity of this game that people love and hold so dear. And which is weird because in a way, you kind of feel like people weren't really surprised. They were almost just more upset that he destroyed the illusion of it. And that clip we just heard kind of gets to something we talked about a lot in reporting this um, and some of the editorial choices we made, which was, you know, we did want to give a sense of how big a moment this was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you put it, the sanctity of the game was in question, but it was just a huge media frenzy. There was something specifically about him. I remember us having conversations about, you know, him saying, oh, I got death threats and this. And then we had, a, I think, a long scene once where, where people were talking about the death threats they got. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, is that for real? Did he really get death threats over this? And is this the kind of thing where, like, if you're famous enough, you're kind of always getting death threats? I, you know, that was one of those where I wasn't entirely sure what to believe with Jose. Yeah, no, it it was. I mean, he actually did get death threats, and specifically when he went on tour. Like, when he was on the book tour, they got very credible death threats that apparently were investigated, and I started down a path where I was uh-huh. looking into this. You know, there was some reporting done on it at the time, but they canceled the book tour specifically because there were credible threats to his life on the next stop of the book tour, which I believe was going to be going to Miami, mm-hmm. ironically his hometown. Um, and so they had to cancel the rest of the book tour from that point onward. Um, I know that the, the, the death threats came in through email. Yeah. Um, there, there was an investigation done. I believe the FBI was involved and they suggest, they made a suggestion, the security team made a suggestion to cancel it. Yeah. So they and, did. And as we show in the piece, the FBI soon had other things yeah. regarding yeah. steroids to yeah. get involved with. Um, but, you know, I think we did do a good job, and there's one of my favorite moments in the piece is this montage of the the media immediately pushing back. Mm-hmm. And that gets to one of the central questions, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit here, is that this is a story about a very problematic messenger who has a message that happens to be particularly true. So is there anything on that front that got you thinking, and is there anything you feel like you learned about that over the course of reporting this? The one thing about Jose is that he does have this checkered past. You know, he has these domestic abuse allegations. He has had all kinds of different run-ins with the law. Um, you know, he had this bad boy image. And he comes out and he does this thing that with baseball, you know, bringing all this to light. And it comes to congressional hearings. It ends up, you know, being the thing that spurs on all these changes in, in baseball and, you know, in testing for steroids. But even though all these things in his past are there, he's this complicated guy to get wrap your head around who did this thing that was a positive thing for the game itself and for society but he doesn't have to be you know built up to be something better or greater than what he is he is this guy who was he wanted to get revenge and it was nothing more than that like he wasn't coming into it saying i see a problem with baseball and i want to fix baseball and blah 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 no he was this guy who was like I'm mad, I'm angry, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this thing. And I want to I ask you a little bit about his motivations in a second, because that's another very complicated part of this. But on this question of him as a complicated messenger and the backlash that he got, it's an interesting counterfactual is what if Mark McGuire had written this book? Yeah. You know, how would it have been treated? And I mean, actually, he, he kind of got his own, even after he initially denies it in, in front of Congress, he still gets a kind of benefit of the doubt. He gets to do a like very teary-eyed 60 minutes interview a few minutes a few years later where he actually admits to doing all this and now he's back in the league and he's a hitting coach and I mean he's not in the Hall of Fame but I think history has been a little kinder to Maguire. Well, this is one this is interesting like another piece of tape that you know we didn't end up getting into in the story itself was the idea that Mark Maguire at that time was actually potentially and I I'm kind of caging yeah. my words a little bit was potentially going to come clean at that time. So when they were having the congressional hearings, there was talk to try and get an immunity deal Mm -hmm. beforehand. And Mark McGuire was one of the players who was in conversation with the representatives on the committee about getting some sort of immunity deal. And they were, you know, minutes to walking into the hearing room. You know, Representative Davis was on the phone with Alberto Gonzalez, the attorney general at the time, trying to get an immunity deal for these players because admitting to using steroids, you know, could have been time in prison if they pursued it. And also lying and perjuring yourself could have been time. 
Um, so these guys were walking a tightrope, and apparently Mark McGuire was in conversations and trying to, you know, get a last minute get deal. a last minute deal. So in this clip, you hear from David Marin, who was the chairperson of the House Government Reform Committee that was looking into the issue of steroids in baseball. I think Mark McGuire's answers in that hearing would have been dramatically different if he'd been able to get immunity for his testimony that day. Mark McGuire w- wanted to help us out with that hearing, and he, want, he, he, uh, he, he desperately wanted to say more than he was able to say. So you hear there that, you know, Mark McGuire was somebody who, you know, David Marin went as far as he was willing to go in terms of uh, talking on the record and that, you know, saying he thought that Mark McGuire's answers would have been drastically different if they'd have been able to get that immunity deal, which, you know, you can read between the lines. It's him kind of Yeah, saying, McGuire was ready to admit this. Yeah. Right. Think about the course of history that would have been different there. Let's go back to Jose himself, though, because mm-hmm. he started to, to talk a little bit about it. And I think it's maybe the central question that we grappled with and that this piece grapples with, which is what makes Jose tick? And with this book specifically, I don't want you to answer the larger question just yet, <laughs> but why, why did he write this book? Well, he felt that he was being, in his own words, he had been kicked out of the game. And in his mind, what the reason he was kicked out of the game is because he was known as kind of the poster child for steroids in baseball. His theory was that Major League Baseball didn't want to put a policy in place, but what they wanted to do was if they kicked Jose out of the league, everybody would get the message that Jose's being kicked out of the league because of steroids. The steroid use would slow down and stop. And so he felt that it was unfair that they had loved him when he was hitting home runs because of the steroids. And then as soon as they thought, well, maybe we want to like figure out a way to get rid of him, they kick him out of the league and he can't get back in. And he was so close to getting to 500. So he was just in this place where he was thinking, I think mostly he just wanted to see Bud Selig go down. Right. And Tommy Lasorda. And Tommy Lasorda as representative. In the the podcast is him kind of sounding off on Tommy Lasorda. Um, Okay. So we have to take a quick break, but I do want to ask you what it was like to actually interview Jose Canseco because I know you have some some stories. And actually, the first thing I want to ask you when we get back from the break is if if you have any updates on Mr. Big, the guy with the world's biggest penis. I'll ask you that in a minute. All right, we are back. The most pressing question. I can't believe we didn't start with this, but any updates on Mr. Big? <laughs> I think I, I read, I, I did some investigating just because I was trying to figure out who, who this person was, and I did some research. He's doing fine. Okay. He's still, he's still uh, out there, you know, doing press. Okay, that's important to know. But, but look, I mean, I, I will say that one of my favorite things about this story is that it is a sort of weird lens on a big story. It's sort of a small lens on a big story. And we and we talked about this a lot. In conceiving this, it was originally pitched this way as the story of making a book. And we felt like the more it can sort of be hinged to that, it's about making a book. And then it happens to also be about steroids. It also happens to be about Jose Canseco. So the story of making the book is in part the story of what it's like to interview Jose Canseco because our ghostwriter, Steve Ketman, talks about that. But you did interview Jose Canseco. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? There was a lot of similarity, I'll say that. You know, he talks about how difficult it was just to get him to sit down and talk. And and I had the exact same experience, you know, coming to town. He's like, all right, come, you're going to come to my show, and then we're going out Where to dinner. Where does he live? He lives in Vegas. He lives okay. in Las Vegas. And he has a show in Vegas? Yeah, he had a, at the time, he had a show. He had a show called Renegades. So it was him, Jim McMahon, and Jimmy King. 
And uh, Jimmy King was in place of Terrell Owens, who later joined the cast. I was at the uh, the, the pre, uh-huh. you know, the early, the opening days. Um, but yeah, he had this show in Vegas. And so after the show, he wants to go and, you know, go to dinner. And so we go to dinner and then it's like, all right, well, we're going to start the next day, get there the next day. And it's, you know, kind of, you know, let me get settled. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like just random stuff. Show me around. Is I also got the tour of his house. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. And so same thing. He goes and he's, you know, he did talk about his back issues. And so he was laying down on a couch. And that's how we did all the interviews. In like the him same way down. that Steve Ketman talks yeah. about ghostwriting the book with Jose laying in there. Yeah. And was it he hard? He wasn't in his boxer shorts, though, okay. as Steve okay. says. Was it, was it hard to keep him on task? You know, one of the things we do with 30 for 30 podcasts, especially when you're dealing with just audio, is you really need your characters to kind of tell you deep stories, describe stuff. Was he able to do that? Was he able to kind of tell you vivid stories in that way? You know, if you talk to him about his playing career, it's all there. He can tell you details. You know, one of the few stories he even tells me is like he clearly remembers that series when the fans were chanting steroids, Uh steroids. But other stuff, when you talk, like when I was particularly the book, anything about the book. I mean, it was like pulling teeth to try and get him to remember anything about the process of writing the book. And and that's part of why we then felt like it was important to then go to the ghostwriter, Steve mm-hmm. Ketman, and also the editor, Daniel Nureri. And we felt like between the three of them, we got this sort of sense of how the book came together. And actually, there's, an, there's even interesting moments where they sort of all remember it slightly different and there's interesting tension, tension there. Um, we should talk about Jose as a person. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you know, in this piece, we give a decent amount of time to a person who's behaved in some pretty crappy ways. He's including domestic violence. And so I'm just wondering, especially in this moment in our culture, we had a lot of conversations about this internally, mm-hmm. uh, along with our editors. How should we think of Jose and what as a journalist how do you kind of grapple with doing a story about someone who has all these problems yeah I think that you know we want to tell this story so we've identified there's a story and it's it's kind of this big picture thing right it's we're talking about this steroid era you know this it had it's huge implications and you know the, the, the ripple effects been going on for years and so going back to that point we have to talk to this guy who is this complicated character but we don't need to put him up as, you know, he's not a, and he's not a hero in yeah. the sense of a traditional sense of the way you look at a story, right? So it would be a different thing, I think, if we were putting this and we were saying, here's a story of this guy who courageously wanted to make baseball a better game and he did all these things and he sacrificed himself and his image and everything so that he could make the game a greater thing. What an amazing guy. What a great guy. If we were doing that story, I think it would be problematic. Yeah. But we're not like we're doing, you know, we're doing this story where we're, we're saying like, look, yeah, he is this complicated character. He is this guy who you do have like these mixed feelings about. But what he did for whatever motivation he did it for resulted in these things that made the game better and were like this big kind of watershed moment for baseball. It's interesting. You're making you're making the case that the bigness of it is a reason to tell the story, which I totally agree with. But I also think in a, in a way the smallness of our particular lens was another thing that we talked about a lot that like, Mm -hmm. we're not trying to tell the Jose Canseco story that understands who he is and has to grapple with all the awful ways that he has behaved Though we do acknowledge that in Mm -hmm. the piece and Mm -hmm. it's part of his story. But we're, you know, we are trying to take this small lens about the, the writing of this book and how it came together. But in terms of a small slice in time, as you were putting it, uh, that had this big impact, 
that's kind of, that's kind of what we what we thought about and we tried to walk that line and you know we talked a lot about this and i think it's good i mean we have you know everybody that's why you got a lot of different people on staff so we can yeah. you know people can raise issues and raise points and we had a lot of conversations about should we do it and then okay once the decision is made you know how are we going to do this in a responsible way yeah. um okay we got to start to wrap up here but i'm curious just you can answer this however you want but are there any moments either from making this or in the piece itself that you particularly love? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, you often go into these things with, you know, I, I think I know this, uh, I know this yeah. thing, and like, how does it change? And so one of the things I went into is I did a lot of interviews with people before meeting Judith and getting, you know, asking people about Judith. And everybody's telling me all these stories, how tough she is, how blah, blah, all this stuff. Finally, when I get Judith to agree to an interview, she, I, she doesn't like, she's not difficult. I don't force her to come. She's like, oh, I'll come to you. So she comes mm-hmm. to meet with me. Uh, we sit down for an interview. She's one of the nicest people I've ever interviewed. Super sweet. Afterwards, you know, we're leaving and she's like, oh, are you leaving too? I was like, yeah. So, like, oh, I'll wait for you and we'll walk to the subway together. We wow. had like a beautiful, right. like nice chat. So I, that was one of the things that really surprised me was I was kind of set up. And mm-hmm. I remember even going into that interview, everybody was saying, are you ready for Judith? Right. She's an absolutely lovely person. Well, speaking of tape that didn't make it in, we had a whole section where there was this big Judith Regan Devil Wears Prada comparison. comparison, And we had tape from Devil Wears Prada. And actually, some of the stories that people talk about. And the editor talks about seeing Devil Wears Prada and thinking, oh, that person is a total pushover compared to my boss, Judith Regan. I remember when the movie um, Devil Wears Prada came out, and I was like, that is the softest office I have ever seen. I could retire to go work for that. Like, that looked so cupcake. And, uh, and so in some ways, I think she's just a better than TV could ever write. She is this legendary figure who probably deserves a full documentary on her own, on her own merits, but, you know, we get to include her in ours. Uh, all right. So, Andrew, this was really fun. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And listeners, one quick plug. Andrew and I were recently on the ABC Daily News podcast, Start Here, talking about this story. So if you want to hear more about the making of Juiced, check out Start Here from our friends at ABC. And as I said, we're going to continue to do bonus episodes for each episode this season. Next week is the 2003 World Series of Poker. Then we'll do something about a protest at the New York City Marathon. Then Ricky Henderson. Then Hideo Nomo. But for 30 for 30 podcast super fans out there, you may know that I do these conversations with filmmakers every once in a while, and we have moved those to a new feed. So if you want to hear those conversations or find those conversations, you can just search ESPN Films in whatever podcast app you like, and you will find those, but you can also just stay subscribed to this feed. All right, Andrew, thank you again. Get some sleep. And you said you're on to the next thing. Do you already know what's next? Uh, we have some ideas. I'm still there's like a, a big project that I'm I'm hoping mm-hmm. to keep pushing forward on, okay. and maybe for next year. Yeah, but we're always taking ideas. So you can email Andrew, yeah. I'm, and, I'm Andrew Mambo at ESPN.com. That's correct. With any ideas or any yeah. comments about Juiced? All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. We've got a new doc coming your way next week. In the meantime, anything you can do to help spread the word: leave a review, share on social, tell a friend. You can walk into a party, unplug the music, and just start playing the Thirty for Thirty podcast. People will really enjoy that. Anything you can do to help spread the word, we really appreciate it. My name is Jody Avergan, and we'll see you soon.